Well, we always want to celebrate what God is doing. I know Kelly mentioned some of those things, but I want to let you know, you know, last weekend uh, with Riverside, with here at Barker, as well as online, we had over 5,500 people that uh, came as part of uh, our Easter services. And what's most exciting, we can clap about that. <clears throat> but what really gets me excited about that is not that number. What gets me excited is that so many of you put it on yourself to say, I'm going to invite, I'm going to reach out. You know, I'm going to make sure my friends, my family members, my coworkers, my barista, whatever it may be, is going to come and be a part of what God is doing. I believe that God worked in a powerful way. Um, I'll never forget this last weekend as long as I live. Um, because last weekend we had over 157 baptisms that took place, which was just, it was unreal. You know, just to be able to see, you know, person after person after person. In fact, I mean, just look at the cross. We've never seen the cross lit up that much. You know, many of you guys know uh, the cross, every light bulb represents somebody who's gotten baptized just within the past year, going back to September. And so we always do this every single year. And, and uh, so I want to talk to some of you guys who were baptized this last week. First is after the service, I want to encourage you to go to the cross and they're going to have, you know, a person over there to be able to write your name under one of the bulbs. You know, it was so busy last week, we didn't have a chance to do that. It's kind of a tradition there. That way it can be a marker and a reminder for you every single time that you come in here, especially for the next six months and as you see somebody else get baptized. In addition, I want to really strongly encourage you to take a next step. And I don't know the reason why you got baptized. Many of you, it was because you were baptized uh, maybe as an infant or maybe it was uh, like I've been a Christian for a long time. I've never been baptized or some of you accepted Christ for the first time and then decided to get baptized. All of you have another step. It's not the end-all, be-all. And so I want to encourage you with that next step. For some of you, it's going to be getting in a life group. Some of you, it's going to be starting to serve. Some of you, it's uh, actually going to be uh, come alongside somebody else in their journey you know, of faith. So if that's you, I want to encourage you to head to Connecting Point and to have a relational conversation. You know, afterwards, after you, you know, write your name you know, on the light, go to Connecting Point, and we'd love to make sure that we connect you to that next step. Now, for those of you who brought someone, who invited someone, a family member, a friend who got baptized, I want to encourage you that it's your responsibility and opportunity to lovingly ask them to join you in what you're doing. So maybe that's getting in a group. Maybe that's doing a devotional together. Maybe that is serving to say, hey, this is your next step to be a part of the community that God has for us. And, and I want to encourage those of you, I know that there have been some, it already happened last service, we had one planned and we had five baptisms. Uh, and so I'm, I'm going to encourage some of you guys that you kind of hesitated last week or you made the decision it wasn't the right week, that uh, the water is still there, you know. And so we, I want to encourage you at the end of this time, in fact, the water is much cleaner than what it was after the fourth service on Sunday. So for those of you germaphobes, this is your weekend. You know, this is the time to get into that, you know, baptistry area, you know, at that time. So I'm so excited. I'm going to give you that chance and that opportunity at the end of our time together. Uh, now, with that being said, we're in this new series that I am just so, so encouraged and excited to walk you through, which is called The Seven Realities for Experiencing God. It's actually a series we did seven years ago, but we knew that this is the time to bring it back again to walk through. And it's based on the book as well as the workbook uh, by Henry Blackaby. And I can tell you from my own spiritual life and development, it was so uh, impactful for me to walk through. Because a lot of us can learn a lot about God, but there's a big difference to learn about God, to know things about God, than to experience him, which I'll talk about in just a second. But this is on the heart of God for you and for me. In John 17, Jesus is in the upper room, and it's before he goes to the cross, 
And he tells us that there's some things he's praying for. And we get to John 17, and he prays for his disciples, but then he prays for us. Notice one of the things that he prays for us for, and this is the way he prays for, for us to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent on earth. So his desire is that we would know God, that we would know Jesus Christ, that we would come to know him. Now we get to know God by experiencing him, not just by learning more about him, but to be in relationship with him. For example, um, you can't really know something at its deeper level unless you experience it. I can tell you about the Grand Canyon. I can show you pictures about the Grand Canyon. I can tell you how deep the Grand Canyon you know, is and how long it is and maybe even what the soil feels like on your feet or what the air may smell like and you're picturing it and you're learning all these facts and understandings but you don't really know the Grand Canyon until you experience the Grand Canyon, right? It's the first step of knowing is to know about but it's a deeper level when it comes to experience. Uh, maybe another way to say it is if social media has taught us anything, we can know a lot about another person. We can know what they like, what they dislike. We can know uh, vacations. We can know about their kids. We can know about what food they like because people love to take pictures of what they eat. I mean, we can know a lot about somebody else and yet never know them at all. It's the same thing with God. We can find ourselves coming week after week or learning more about God without ever experiencing him. And so our goal in this series is that you would learn or relearn what it means to connect to God relationally and personally and not just know more about him. So in these seven weeks, we're going to cover these seven things that you're going to see on the screen now. Today, we're going to talk about how God is always at work around you. And then I know it looks overwhelming, but that he pursues a relationship with you. He invites you. You're going to be a part of what he's doing. He's going to speak by his Holy Spirit. He invites the work and you must make major adjustments and you come to know God by experience as you obey him as he accomplishes his work through you. And so don't get overwhelmed by that because each week we're going to hit one as we walk through this together. And if you've not already in a life group, I would encourage those of you, you know, to go through it. The sermon question is going to be based on this. I'd ask you to order that workbook. It can be also a great experience for you and a friend or family members as well. And so with that as the backdrop, let me start with this. <laughs> Do you ever notice that what we look for, we tend to see, right? What we look for, we tend to see. Just think of the last time you went car shopping or even interest and you kind of narrowed it down and you're like, ooh, I just want a Ford truck. And then all of a sudden you saw Ford trucks everywhere. You're like, what in the world? How come half the population seems to have Ford trucks? Because now you're able to see what's always been there because you're actually looking for it. My, my kids love Teslas. So every time we're in the car, every time we're on the road, dad, there's a Tesla, dad, there's a Tesla, dad, there's a Tesla. I'm like, I know they're everywhere. Well, at least in his mind, because when you're looking for it, you're able to see it. The reason I mention that is it's the same way when it comes to God. If you look for him, you will actually see him because God is always at work around us. He's always at work around us. We don't see it because we're often not looking for it. We're caught up into other things. But he's always about his redemptive work, which is God redeeming people, their stories, you know, even if we can't see it at the time. In fact, if you hang around here long enough, one of the, the hallmarks of Valley Real Life is that we're pretty jacked up people here. And it's okay to admit that and to go on a journey together and watch God do what only God can do. 
And we see things like people growing in their faith. We see marriages grow. We see people understand and help each other with God at the center. What does parenting look like? What is our purpose and meaning in life? What's the next step that God may have for us? And we have one another with God at the center to walk through and you see God redeem things over and over and over. Why? Because he's always moving and he's always working. God's work is the process of accomplishing his purposes universally, but also personally. And what I mean by universally is, um, I think the nation of Israel, you know, they've been wait- they were waiting for hundreds of years for this promised Messiah, this promised Christ. And they're just like, where are you, God? Why are you working? What's going on? And he was silent, almost virtually silent. There was no prophet. There was no representative for almost 400 years. Well, where was God? Did he take a nap? No. He was working. He was orchestrating world events, raising up people who would obey, maneuvering circumstances so that Jesus could come and accomplish the work of the opportunity of redemption at just the right time. How do I know that? Galatians 4.4, when the right time came, God sent his son. He was at work all along. That's what Jesus says in John 5, verse 17. My father is always working, always, and so am I. So we know there's always work that's taking place. So that's a universal kind of big picture thing that God does you know, in, our, in, our, in our area, in our world, and on a regular basis. But he also is very personal. Like I told you, it's not the number that came at Easter. It's the individual lives, the individual people who decided to get baptized, the individuals you know, who are represented, who are watching here or watching even online you know, as we speak. And so I want this verse that I'm about to read to you to really impact you. And we're gonna, we're gonna read it a couple times today, but let me, let, me, let me have you hear this for the first time. Philippians 1, 6 says, I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ returns. You know, it's the, one of the reasons that we don't just accept heaven and go, poof, we're in heaven. Because there is a work that God wants to do in us And it's his work that he is doing as we experience him in our real lives and on our everyday encounters with him. Now, here here, though in lies the tension of all everything I've said so far. God works according to his plan and his timing, not ours. And that sucks. Not to disregard the amen. You know, that was a good, that was a good amen. (laughs) The reason is it's so frustrating when it comes to our perspective, okay, let's be honest. You and I look at the world and we look at world events in our area, in our nation and around the world. And many times we have the temptation to think or to say, God, why aren't you working? Why aren't you doing what obviously I would do if I was in your shoes? That's what we're saying. And if we want to get more personal, those are things that we say outside. And that has also been one of the reasons that some of you or your friends have said, I don't want to believe in God because what I see happening, there can't really be a God. Let's get personal. We've done this in our own lives. God, why am I suffering? Why am I going through hardship? Why am I, when I've actually been faithful to you, I've actually came to church on Easter. What's wrong, God? Can I get something? You know, just a little response back. And we have this tension, right? And we're like, God, are you really working? And if you are, it sure doesn't seem like it. That's the reality. But let's take a step back for just a second. 
raise your hand if you were ever a kid. Okay, just want to make sure we're listening. Everybody was a kid at some point. Now, here's what I can bet. At some point in your life, whether you were two years old or whether you were 45 and still a child, you know, of your parents, your parents didn't do certain things when you thought they should, and mine as well. That you're like, why aren't you helping, rescuing, providing, taking care of, doing what I think is best for my life right now? In fact, uh, I'll never forget that uh, my boys uh, gave my wife on two separate occasions, both on Mother's Day, um, to, uh, these fits, you know, they call them tantrums, when they were two and three years old on Mother's Day in the middle of stores. Happy Mother's Day. You know, that's what they gave. Because she wasn't giving them what they thought that they wanted or needed at that point, and they had a response. Could it be, as children of God that we still have that mindset because when you actually became an adult, you realized, huh, maybe some of the things that my parents didn't do, what I thought they should do, was actually beneficial for me and for those around me. And you grew up in the same way God is asking us to grow up to understand he is always at work. We may not understand everything because could it be we don't have his perspective and his mindset just like a child with a parent. So what I want to do is as we look at God is always at work and we look at these seven realities, I want to look at the character of Moses in our Old Testament. And I want you to see how God was at work in his life and how God is at work in yours. So let's set the stage. The nation of Israel is in captivity, literally they're slaves in Egypt. And we find this in Exodus chapter two, verse 23. Years passed and the king of Egypt died, but the Israelites continued to groan under the burden of slavery. They cried out for help and their cries rose up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel and knew it was time to act. So God was already at work around Moses. That's that universal thing that's going on. Even though Moses didn't realize it. In fact, Moses was just about ready to be born. And God's first work in Moses' life is that God provided for his survival. And I just want to stop right there. You're alive for a purpose. Your life matters. And I want you to recognize it's not by accident that you exist on this world, no matter what anybody else, no matter what culture says, your life matters. Because here's what we see just in Moses' life. It says, Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people, throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River, but you may let the girls live. So at that time, there was a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi. They got married, and they had this child named him Moses. And they realized that uh, they tried to keep him as alive as long as they could. And they realized there's no way that we're going to be found out. So they put him in a basket with tar and pitch and they sent him down the Nile River and just said, God, he's yours. We, we don't know what else to do because he's going to be killed. And so there's his sister, happens to be Miriam, we find out later, you know, begins to watch to see what's going to happen to the child. Well, the basket ends up in, in reeds, and all of a sudden, at the same time, there was a coincidence God that happened where, you know, uh, the Pharaoh's daughter comes down to bathe just at that time, sees the basket, walks over, opens to see the contents, boom, there's Moses. 
Right at that time, Marion comes out and says, hey, princess, would uh, you like me to find someone who can nurse the baby and take care of the baby? She said, sure. Well, who did Miriam go and find? Moses's mother. How crazy is that? Now, those of you moms, how nice would it be to be raised in a palace and, you know, almost to get paid, you know, for, for raising your kids, you know, instead of the payment that many of you receive, you know, from raising your kids. But anyway, that's just a side note. Just think about, well, that's kind of a cool situation that God was actually providing as, she, as he actually grew up there. God then provided for his spiritual and physical development. Notice he was educated, raised in Pharaoh's household. God was at work. Did Moses see it at the time? Not exactly. But then we see that God placed a passion for his people in Moses' heart. This is what we begin to see that happens. And many of you have passions, you have gifts, you have desires. Now, I wouldn't recommend doing what Moses did. Let's kind of read what Moses did with his passion and his desires. Many years later, when Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews, and he saw how hard they were being forced to work. During his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. After looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. The next day, when Moses went out to visit his people again, he saw two Hebrew men fighting. Why are you beating up your friend? Moses said, the one who had started the fight. The man replied, who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Are you going to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? Then Moses was afraid, thinking everyone knows what I did. And sure enough, Pharaoh heard what had happened and he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian. What, what, what Moses quickly learns, and we do as well, is that God taught him that God's will must be accomplished God's way. Okay, And the reason we know that he believed that God was calling him to be this person for the nation of Israel is in Acts chapter 7, verse 25. It says, Moses assumed his fellow Israelites would realize that God had sent him to rescue them, but they didn't. Not then. So you have to call him later. So he has this passion, this gift, this desire. And it's the same with us. So often we react so quickly to circumstances, situations, even the passions that we have in our lives and we don't seek God to understand, God, what is your will, your way? The next thing that we read in terms of God working in his life is God placed him in the land of Midian, which prepared him for what was to come. In verse 15 of chapter two, it says, when Moses arrived in Midian, he sat down beside a well. And there we find the priest of Midian's daughters, she had seven of them, came down on a regular basis to draw water. Moses happened to be there, but also some shepherds. The shepherds started, you know, messing with these daughters and starting to, to mistreat them. And Moses stands up and he defends them. The daughters then go home and say, you'll never believe what happened at the well. Uh, we were at the well and this Egyptian, because that's what he looked like to them. This Egyptian saved us from the shepherds. And the father looks at him and says, well, where is he? Oh, we left him at the well. You know, just like, well, come on. You know, so he goes and gets him and he comes into the house, you know, into, into their father's house to which he stayed for 40 years. And in all that time of the 40 years, God was working in his life. Sometimes uh, I got this question asked on Thursday night in our texting question time, you know, well, how long do I have to wait before I see God working? Well, you're going to see God working all the time. But in your life, you need to wait for his time, his ways. For Moses, it was quite a long time. For others, it may be much sooner. See, God is at work in and through us today, even when we don't recognize it. 
See, he's not only at work around us, but as a child of God, we can be assured that he's working in us. Again, I want to repeat this critical verse. For the days when you're down, when the days that you're wondering if God is working in your life, when the days that you're wondering, God, are you really there, that you might memorize this verse in Philippians 1.6, and I am certain, I am positive that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns or when you meet Christ face, face to face, whichever comes first. So he's at work, he's doing that, but just like that child, you may not see or feel it at the time. Let me give you two specific examples you know, from our Bibles. In the Old Testament, there's this prophet by the name of Jeremiah, and God says this about Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1.5, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. See, I want to remind you what God says about you. In Psalms 139, verse 13, it says, God, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Your life matters. The other guy is the name Saul. In our New Testament, he becomes Paul. And notice what God says about him in Acts 9, 15. But the Lord said, go for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to show the kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much you must suffer for my namesake. What this means is that when God calls you to join him in his work, you can be assured that he has also providentially been at work in your life to equip you with what you need to obey. The challenge for us is it's scary. It's nerve-wracking. It's something we've never done before. And that's the harder part, is actually to take that step, which we'll talk about in a few weeks. See, God doesn't come to us to discover what we'd like to accomplish for him. He encounters us in order to reveal his activity and invite us to be involved in his work. Let me say it more simply. God, your will not mine. What is your will for my life? Because that's not like us. <laughs> I, I'm like you. It's okay to plan. It's okay to put things, you know, uh, on the calendar and be able to do that. But do we do, do we hold it loosely and just say, God, I want to do your will? Or do we say, God, just bless my, already, my plans. I already know who I want to marry. I know where I want to live. I know how much money I want to make. I know how all that kind of stuff. Just bless that, Lord. And God's like, no, no, I have something different for you if you would recognize my work in your life is going to have tremendous impact if you would open yourself to me. Now, there are three hindrances before we close that stop us from recognizing God's work. There's three things, and there's more, but here's probably the top three. First, and I've already kind of alluded to this, we tend to evaluate everything through the lens of how it affects us. Guys, this is what is so frustrating angering and resenting or the resentment that we get when it comes to God. Like I said, God, where are you? Why aren't you doing what I think you should do in my life? And we've got to back that up and say, no, 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 God, in Isaiah 55, 9, just for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. See, there's two ways to look at every situation. How it affects you or how it affects God's kingdom with you involved. How it affects just you or how it affects God's kingdom. Like one of my heroes of the faith is the apostle Paul. He wrote a lot of our New Testament because here's what's 
crazy, and this is where I need to grow in my own life. Paul was always concerned, always concerned with how his circumstances could actually help in his mission to spread the message of Jesus Christ. He was always concerned. So when we see him unjustly imprisoned, he immediately looks to see how his imprisonment could bring salvation to the prison guards and those around him. Put yourself in those shoes for just a second. You and I are unrighteously, or it's wrong, that we put into prison for just sharing our faith. How would you respond? I know my response would be like, what the heck, God? I'm just trying to do your work your way. And now I'm in prison? What did I do to deserve this? Paul, not one time, writes a negative word about his circumstances. He recognizes that his circumstances could be the next opportunity of joining God in his work. That, that just, uh, just blows our minds. So that next time when you have something negative happen, could it actually be the work that God's trying to do in you to become something that you're not right now or a work that he wants to do through you with those people that you might be in front of. For example, sometimes, how many times was God trying to use some of us when we received a, a diagnosis from the doctor that he actually wanted us to pray for and come alongside the nurses and doctors in our situation, but would never even cross our mind because all we could think about was our own diagnosis. That's a totally different way to look at stuff. Could it be that God uses even the stupid things we do for his good and his glory and he's always at work? He always can do those things. And it doesn't mean that God causes or makes all of those things happen. Like, let me give you a, a, a real life example of my own family. Um, my mom, uh, I would have had an older sister if uh, her first child had lived. And so she had a, a child, but uh, after a few days, it died of SIDS. Now, SIDS is when a child simply holds their breath after, you know, being born, and they come in, they find, you know, a, a dead child in the crib. Now, imagine the devastation that my mom went through. Imagine the pain, the suffering. First child, God, why? What's going on? And this is to my mom's credit and what God did as he began to work. He didn't cause that to happen. He didn't want those things. That's the sin. That's the fall. That's a whole different conversation. But what he can do is turn something awful into something amazing. And what my mom will tell you is it was unbelievable to her how many people in the church and other people outside the church that she met over the course of the next 20 years that had gone through the same thing or through miscarriages and she was able to sit face to face empathize with them and be the hands and feet of Jesus which that person desperately needed. And she would said, I will never wish that upon anybody to go through that, but God can use those circumstances for me to be used by him in his work for his glory. That's how it looks. Uh, Mark Batters calls it uh, inverted Christianity. Instead of doing what we want and hope God blesses it, instead find out what God is doing and how we can be a part of it. That's the first hindrance. We just kind of see things through our own eyes. Second, we find ourselves caught in the trap of busyness. <laughs> we are so stinking busy, we can't even see. You know, we're driving so fast, we're moving so fast, we have one thing after another, we can't even see God working, and yet he's working all the time, which leads us uh, to this third one. We can't see what we're not looking for. We can't see what we're not looking for. We've got to ask God, open our spiritual eyes so we can recognize what he's doing so that we don't remain blind to his presence and his work. 
Uh, let me give you an example of how this plays out in real life. When you go to work tomorrow, could you possibly go with a different mindset, a different eye set? Do you see how work affects you only? Or can you see how God is at work in you and in the lives of those that you work with? When you go to school tomorrow, can you just see, here's my schedule? Or can you see that God may be up to something that he wants to do either in you or through you in all these things? And you have opportunities every single day. Do you see how God has been at work in your life even to bring you here today? Can you see the trajectory that he has had his hand on you personally? Can you see what he might be holding back from you because he's trying to conform you and help you into his image? Can you see some of that? That's what God wants you to experience because here's what I can tell you. I see it all the time and I see it in you. It's much harder, much easier to see it in others, let's be honest, than it is in ourselves. But God is at work in every single one of your lives. And we have to open our eyes. We have to trust that he's working in us. And we have to be open to what he might be wanting to work through us in the lives of others. And for some of you, that may mean, yep, today's my day to accept Christ. Today's my day to choose to follow him. Today's my day to choose to now to get baptized in him as my next step. And for others of you, here's what I would encourage you. This is something I started just, uh, just since this last Thursday. And this is, that's this. Spend time daily looking for how God is working in, through, and around you and be willing to share that with others. Imagine this. Simple. At the end of every day, just for the next seven days, before you go to sleep, just process. Where did God work today? And you do that one or two days. By that third day, you will actually start noticing it earlier in the day. You'll start recognizing much sooner in the day. And so if you can just get to the end of the day and then share it with somebody, you know, find somebody, you know, elbow them right now. Say, hey, let's do this. Let's keep each other accountable so that we don't just busy ourselves into the next thing. But before we go to sleep, let's just, let me call my friend. Let's sit down as a family, whatever it may be, and be like, hey guys, how did God work today? It could be simple little things, could be monumental things, but God is always at work and we need to open our eyes to be able to see it so that we can continue to experience him in a deeper and more profound way. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for today and the opportunity it is for us to begin this journey together. And I just pray that you would just encourage all of us just to be able to just say you are working. Even when we can't see it, even when we can't feel it, you are working. And God, if there's anybody here today who's not yet accepted you, received you, or wants to follow you, and if that's you, I just pray that you'll pray this prayer after me. Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. Teach me what it means to be a follower of you through your word and through the lives of other believers. God, for the rest of us, I just pray that you'll just help us to recognize, just to simply recognize that you are at work and then allow us to go on the journey from there. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.